Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theana Money. This week we have another episode that was inspired by a social media post. This has happened before with the episode Deuteronomy or Judges, which is one of my personal favorite episodes, so I think you should check it out. So a few months ago, I made this post on social media. When someone snarkily, if snarkily is not a word, then I'm declaring it a word now by the power vested in me, which is none. So anyways, when someone snarkily says, your post mill, when was the last time you watched the news? I need to practice self-counsel. I want to respond, when was the last time you read the Bible? But instead, I tell them about upward and downward periods with a general trend upwards. A guy named Nick commented on that post and said, This is a real hurdle, probably because we think in immediacy and not future building. This is a great topic to break down on future shows. So I plan to answer him and do an episode on it like he had asked me to. And this is that episode. But before we jump into that, I wanted to take a moment to ask you all to subscribe to the podcast, follow Theana Money on social media, and tell your friends about the show. So back to the topic for the week. Post mill when the world is collapsing. That is the general idea that the fictional person in my social media post a while back is getting at, isn't it? And unfortunately, that fictional person is a lot of people in real life. Which is why that post hit home for so many. We get so many who respond to those of us who are post-mill and think we are crazy or never watch the news or bury our heads in the sand. Well, I for one do not watch the news and I probably represent many people my age when I say that. I get the news primarily through podcasts, social media, and word of mouth from friends. Shout out to anyone listening right now who listens to the Cross-Politic Daily News Brief. But people seem to think that we don't listen to the news and all the bad stuff going on in the world, and that's why we are able to be post-millennial. That if we just paid more attention to the world and stopped putting our heads in the sand like ostriches, which apparently they don't actually do that from an article I glanced at to see if I was making things up or if this is an actual expression, But they seem to think that if we stopped doing all those things, then we would just be pre-mill or ah-mill like they are. Before we really start responding to that, I just want to give this quick response. If that were true, if that was an accurate accusation, then why is it that a lot of the Christians warning about the Great Reset are also post-mill? Myself, James White... Peter Boland, the cross-politic guys, and others. So there is more to the reason why we are post-mill than just we think that the world is perfect and nothing too bad is going on. 
And that brings me to the second part of my statement in that social media post. When people say such things, I need to practice self-counsel. Self-counsel is counseling yourself against sin, often in specific moments of temptation, and usually done by reminding yourself of the gospel in general, certain passages of scripture specifically, and the consequences of giving in to that sin. Basically, what I'm saying there is that I want to respond back with something equally snarky and probably either an agitated or cocky tone of voice when I say it, but I need to practice self-counsel to have a proper response. That brings us to the third and fourth parts of that post. The third is that I want to respond wrongly by being just as rude as they were and asking them when was the last time they read their Bible because they asked when was the last time I watched the news, thinking that would make me stop being post-mill. The self-counsel aspect leads to the fourth and final part of the statement, where I instead, if I am successful with my self-counsel, explain the various upward and downward periods throughout church history with a general trend upward. There were times in church history where things looked great. There were other times where things looked about as bleak as they can possibly be. If we are post-mill in the good times and pre-mill in the difficult times, then our eschatology, that's the theological term that refers to our view of end times, our eschatology will be reflective of what is going on in the world rather than reflecting scripture, which should be the goal. So let's... Like Nick mentioned, for something that would be helpful to do in an episode, let's break it down with an emphasis on how we all too often think in terms of immediacy and not building things that will last long into the future. But before we start on that, I want to give a scriptural foundation. Future Jeremy here, fixing something where I misspoke. You didn't hear me misspeak because I cut it out and put this in instead, but I was saying that theonomy is the presuppositional view of politics. So like what biblical counseling is, as far as presupp to counseling, what presupp apologetics is to apologetics, theonomy is the same thing to politics. Anyways, back to the original recording. In other words, theonomy is the view of politics that flows from the presuppositional worldview. So we want to start with scripture as the only objective source of truth. Postmillennialism has a strong biblical basis. I can't go into all the details or that would take this entire episode and we still wouldn't be through it all. So I'm going to give a few examples and then point you to the virtual conference that Cruciform Media put out in December of 2020. Theonomony is part of Cruciform Media, so I just want to take this moment to promote them and tell you all to look at their YouTube channel and watch some of the videos from the a purchased victory virtual conference if you want a deeper dive into post-mail. Also, the name just changed from Cruciform Ministries to Cruciform Media, so when you try to find it on YouTube, I'm not sure which of the two names it will be under. But I said that I would cover a few of the passages right now, so let's do that. First, let's look at just how often Psalm 110 is quoted in the New Testament. Psalm 110 is all about Jesus and his authority as king. The first verse tells us that all of his enemies are over time becoming his footstools. The first verse of Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. 
And it is not alone as a verse from Psalm 110 that gets a lot of attention in the New Testament. Many of the verses in that psalm are quoted often in the New Testament, especially in Hebrews. In fact, I would say that perhaps the strongest argument for post-mill is looking at Old Testament quotations in the New Testament, whether they be from Psalm 110 or a different passage. I've been saying that for a while now, since I heard Doug Wilson talk about that and his message for the A Purchased Victory virtual conference that I mentioned a couple minutes ago. So let's think about Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. These are verses that are quoted a lot around Christmas, and this episode is dropping just a couple weeks after Christmas, after all. Or maybe if you're a, a listener that is more in the East and you're in the West, this episode is dropping the day after Christmas, if you celebrate it on January 6th. So Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on, and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. What does it mean that there will be no end to the increase of his government and peace that Jesus ends? If we say that this won't happen until 2,000 years later during a literal thousand year millennium, then we have to put a break in between the first line of verse 6 and the rest of the two verses. One that has to come from outside of this passage because there is nothing to support that in the text. The post-mill understanding of this is that ever since the ascension, 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus has been ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, watching his enemies be put under his feet, increasing his government on the earth, and increasing peace on earth as well. Last passage we are going to look at on this. Let's look at the verse of cruciform media, the verse and the logo. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. By definition, the waters cover the sea. That's what the seas are, large bodies of water. So if the knowledge of the glory of God covers the earth like water covers seas, then that means that every square inch of the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God and his glory. Even if we take that verse as a metaphor or exaggeration or something, it can't be too far off from reality or that exaggeration becomes a lie and God doesn't lie. Even if that were the case, the earth would still need to be mostly full of believers to fulfill this verse. Okay, one last thing before we move on to the main body of the episode. And now I didn't lie. I said that Habakkuk 2.14 was the last verse. And what we're about to look at isn't a verse. It's a song. We all love joy to the world, especially around Christmas time. 
But if you pay attention to that song, it is a really post-mill song. Christ comes to make his blessings known as far as the earth is found. That is everywhere. No more let sins grow, nor thorns infest the ground. That's talking about undoing the curse. And that transitions well into answering what Nick mentioned as an idea for an episode. Premills would respond to us that those verses are true, but they will be fulfilled in the literal thousand years after the second coming, not during the current time in world history, or even that they are not fully true until eternity, depending on who you ask. But if that is the case, then I want to look at Isaiah 65. And yes, someone might respond that these different prophetic passages are responding to different times in the future. To go into that much detail would require a much longer episode or preferably a debate, not a podcast as short as mine. But some do think of these passages as referring to eternity. In fact, in my Legacy Standard Bible, the heading over this passage we are about to look at says that it is about the new heavens and new earth. So I want to at least put a nail in that idea. Look at Isaiah 65 verse 20. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fulfill his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. This can't be referring to eternity because it says that people still die. Eternity with God isn't that we live to be one or two hundred instead of just 70 or 80. It is life forevermore. This passage has to be referring to something else. Most of us postmills would say that it refers to something in the future when the spread of the gospel and scientific, medical, and technological advancement has extended the human life expectancy beyond anything we can legitimately imagine right now. So go back to Joy to the World. No more let thorns infest the ground. Think about how gardening and agriculture has advanced in the last 6,400 years. Adam and Eve's sons and grandsons were probably out there working their farms with cruel instruments, rakes and hoes and such, probably all made out of wood, or at most wood with stone, since it is several generations into Cain's genealogy before someone forging bronze and iron is mentioned. Tubal Cain in Genesis 4.22. Eventually, someone invents the plow. Then someone decides to have animals pull the plow instead of people. Over the centuries, improvements are made to the plow and how it is tethered to the animal, as well as which animals work better than others. Practices of training farm animals improve, as well as selective breeding to get the strongest and smartest animals. Eventually, we get tractors powered by engines instead of plows powered by animals. And now we have GPS tractors so the farmer can just sit in the climate-controlled tractor reading a book sitting there in case there's an issue and the GPS gets off or something like that. And that's not to mention all the different ways to keep insects off of plants and weeds from choking them out. Some of those ways are more natural and others are more chemical. But all that is to say, just look at the 
advancement of farming in the last several thousand years. Look at how the curse is in some small ways not having as much power as it did when Adam and Eve and their first few generations of descendants were first on the planet. Thorns are infesting the ground much less in agriculture in 2022 than they did in agriculture in 2022 BC. Much progress has been made in the world in the last several thousand years. We can't look at all the weeds in our gardens today and say that is proof that post mill isn't true. Look at agriculture on the grand scale I just gave you and tell me that weeds somehow prove post mill isn't true. That is the type of stuff that Nick was talking about when he referenced just looking at right now and not long term. Although he seemed to be speaking more about long term into the future, not long term into the past. So let's look at an example of that. Medical technology has advanced much in the last few centuries. And now I know I just said we're going to be looking at the future, not the past. But I need to give you a foundation of the recent past to then go into the future. Now, I think medical technology would have advanced a lot more if the government was not so involved in the American medical system, but that is a topic for a different day. If any of my listeners are in the medical field and want to be guests on an episode about that, then let me know. I would love to cover how government involvement has hindered the medical field, but I don't think I know enough to do that one on my own, at least not without a lot more time and research than I can devote to only a single episode. So having someone in the field with me as a guest on that episode would help a lot. Anyways, even despite that, medical advancement has jumped by leaps and bounds in the last few hundred years. N.D. Wilson has said that the brain surgery he had several years ago is safer today than childbirth was a couple centuries ago. That is amazing. We have medicine now to help people get better from illnesses that not too long in the past would have meant almost certain death. Sometimes I think about how much more expensive life today is than in past centuries. But then I remember how those expenses are trade-offs to be able to get medicine for an infection rather than to put a poultice on it, drink some tea and alcohol, put a little bit of the alcohol on the infection before you put the poultice on and pray that it doesn't kill me or force me to amputate wherever the infection is. That might be more expensive to go to a hospital and get it treated, but it's a lot better than what the alternative a few centuries probably was. I also remember the hundreds of dollars I spend on AC and heat in a given year is a lot of money but it's a lot better than sweating all summer long and shivering in front of a fire all winter long. We have a lot of expensive things in life, but the benefits far outweigh the costs. That being said, medical advancement has greatly increased life expectancy in the last few centuries. How much more might it continue to do that in a few more centuries, especially if more Christians enter that industry, such as the one who invented the MRI machine, and government involvement decreases in that market. Maybe we could see average life expectancy break 120, and I think that's possible because I interpret Genesis 6-3 as 120 years from that statement to the flood, not as a cap of human life expectancy, especially since it takes several more centuries for it to decrease to that point 
after God says that. And yes, I know that there is a lot of weird stuff going on in that industry from those who hate God, such as the transhumanism movement. But since I'm post-mill, I think that such movements will collapse on themselves and we will be able to reap the rewards of legitimate scientific progress they make. Much of transhumanism is morally evil and against God and the Imago Dei, but at some point they will probably actually make legitimate scientific discoveries that are not morally evil. Now, how they made those discoveries may have been evil, but we can't apply the genetic fallacy to everything. There are certain things where we probably should apply that, but not to everything. In fact, and I hope mentioning this doesn't get me canceled on any of the podcast platforms, the Nazis helped to promote medical science. Men like Dr. Mengele did wicked, horrible, morally evil experiments on human beings. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It was vile and disgusting. It was a great thing for humanity that such medical experiments ended. However, they did expand medical knowledge on things, knowledge that has been put to use in the United States and other countries in the decades since. That doesn't mean that the ends justify the means. We may not sin that grace may abound, nor may we sin that medical science may expand. But we also do not have to throw away the knowledge gained by pagans because how they acquired it was something we must never sanction. So the increase in human life expectancy in the last 2,000 years, and the likely continual increase in it in the coming centuries, is one example where we need to look at things on a broad scale if we want to see postmill as an option rather than just looking at here and now. Here's another example. This is something I took from the sermon at Apologia almost a year ago when Dr. James White officially came out as postmill. He pointed out something I had never thought of before. There are more today who profess Christ than there were people alive when Nero was murdering Christians for his entertainment almost 2,000 years ago. If there was a top five list of times in church history when things were really bad for Christians, Nero's reign would be on it, or at least in the honorable mentions. Yet there are more today who name the name of Christ than there were people on the planet back then. Now, how many of those people are genuine believers is a topic for another discussion. So when people tell me that post-mill can't be true because things are so bad, I want to ask them to expand their thoughts beyond the right here, right now. That's why the social media post said I would explain upward and downward periods in church history with a general trend upwards. Think of it like the graph for the S&P 500. Sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down. The general trend over time is always up, no matter how low those valleys are in the difficult times. So the people like I was talking about in the social media posts, they say things like, Look at COVID-19. We are in a plague like the pestilences in the Bible. You can't be postman when something like that's going on. Well, for starters... I think pestilences that God sent in judgment and scripture were probably a lot worse than the last two years have been. Not the last two years of what the government has done, but the last two years of COVID-19 itself. If those last two years count, then I think every flu season should count 
as a pestilence of biblical proportions as well. Also, once again, let's look at the broader range in history. Consider the Black Death, also known as the Great Mortality, in the 1340s and 1350s. There were parts of Europe where half or more of the population died. Overall, at least a third of those on the continent died. If modern printing technology had been around back then, the Hal Lindsay's of the 14th century would have been having a field day and become rich. I mean, the literacy rate may have not been high enough for that, but you get the picture. But yeah, here we are, almost 700 years later, claiming a virus that's nothing in comparison with the bubonic plague must be some sort of sign that the end is nigh and the tribulation is about to start in about 10 minutes. They say Christianity is losing influence in America and it seems that more people are abandoning the faith than are coming into it. So therefore, postmill can't be true. First of all, that is very U.S. centric. Second, we have seen lower numbers of those who name Christ in our nation's history than we have right now. By percentage, not by total number, well, also yes by total number, but I want to point out it's by percentage lower amounts, so that way the lower population in the past had nothing to do with it. God brought revival those times. Whether he brings revival or judgment now is up to him. The church will go on either way. They say, The economy is so horrible and looks like it will get even worse in coming years, so therefore postmill can't be true. In 21st century America, someone living on the poverty level has a more comfortable life than many kings from all around the world had in much of human history. They point to persecution, and yes, it is bad especially in certain parts of the world. But persecution has been the case for all of church history. It is nothing new in the last hundred years. All that is new is the technology that can make certain types of persecution easier for them. In episode 19, where I gave thoughts about America and the future, I talked about death and resurrection stories in church history. God seems to love these because they on a small scale, mimic the gospel. Just because we are in the death part of those tiny reenactments of the gospel throughout the centuries, it doesn't mean that we need to change our eschatology. God is doing his work. A better day will come, though perhaps not in our lifetimes, perhaps not even until our great-grandchildren's lifetimes. And the gospel will be furthered even more than it was before the hard times. That's why we need to have a broader perspective than newspaper exegesis. Just because things look bleak right here, right now, doesn't mean that things have always looked bleak when you look back at the past centuries, and it doesn't mean things will be bleak going forward into future centuries. So I'm post-mill first and foremost because scripture convinced me, but also because I can look at all of church history and see the amazing work God is doing as the kingdom of Christ is growing. Sure, the Great Reset seems to be a real and dangerous threat, but I know that Christians will still be around on the other side of it. Hopefully some of them, my descendants, who are trained to be warriors for Christ. The gospel will reign. Christ is a conquering king. Their rebellion will just make themselves his footstool, and Christians will rebuild society 
stronger than ever from the ashes the enemies of God leave behind. Their vain towers of Babel don't mean that Jesus is about to come back. It means that the nations are still raging and there is more crushing for Christ to do, as well as more people to bless after they show insight and believe the gospel. So I know the bad things going on in the world right now, but I'm still post-mill, despite what may or may not be happening at a specific point in church history. And I think you should be post-mill as well. So that was this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Satisfies me, your love is sweet, oh you.